Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. In May, as Chicago inaugurates a new mayor and an evolved city council, the area's schools will graduate what could be called the first COVID class. Students who were freshmen as COVID-19 first hit will be completing a high school experience unlike any other in our history. No doubt the years of disruption and systemic stress could have an impact on these young people going forward. Well, this weekend, we're going to get some expert help in looking at what happened to these students and what happens next. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. There are mental health professionals in just about every school system throughout the Chicago metropolitan area, but there are never enough. That's why CPS, for example, partners with nonprofit organizations that can provide more help and in different ways. Communities in Schools of Chicago is one of those agencies. It's one of the largest education nonprofits in the city. We are turning to that organization this weekend to help us understand what the challenges of the past few years have been like in the schools and what we and the students have to look forward to. Uh, joining me via Zoom conferencing uh, are Shipper Panicker, Director of Intensive Student Supports for Communities and Schools, and Robin Kelsch, CIS's Senior Director of Partnerships, and I thank you both for joining me. Um, Shipper Panicker, it's an understatement to say that the kids have been through some challenging years, but overall, to ask the uh, the traditional question, are they going to be all right? Thank you so much for having us, Craig. First of all, let me start there. We appreciate your time. Um, and the answer, the short answer is yes. We believe that our students are resilient and ultimately with our strong partnership with CPS, we as an organization are confident we can support that student success long-term. I mean, we started with a year or more of uh, isolation. Uh, most of the students could not be in the classrooms. So how did the remote learning affect the learning part of remote learning and, and how they were able to cope? So what we're seeing as a result of remote learning is really when it comes into uh, attention and social relationships. So really being able to interact with one another in the school, that's where we see our students struggling the most because they missed over a year of that in-person social interaction. And the ability to focus in class has changed a little bit as well. 
focusing on Zoom, as we all know, having experienced over a year of quarantine, is really different from having to sit in front of someone and focusing, paying attention, engaging. So that engagement, the attention, and social interaction is really where, again, we're seeing our students struggle. Mm. Um, Robin Kelsch, let's look on the other side of the screen, because I know we talked during, uh, you and I talked uh, during the uh, COVID outbreak, and we were also talking about the stresses of trying to deliver lessons. Uh, mm -hmm. and counseling in such extraordinary circumstances? And how did that play out uh, as we went through this crisis? Shipper mentioned resiliency in young people and in students. And I have to say, I'm also seeing that brightness from the adults, the supporters, right? We talk a lot about supporting the supporters at CIS of Chicago because we know that it takes all of us doing our best to be our best for young people. And I think our community organizations and partners struggled like everybody else, you know, both business-wise, um, you know, trying to get, get real engagement from students was difficult, thereby understanding if programs were being impactful was, was made more difficult. But what we're seeing now is a real um, appetite for, for, for community partners, for interaction from our schools. I think as they were forced to sort of navigate without that um, in-person interaction, now that we are able to sort of lift the curtain a little bit, there is a real, not only need, but appetite from our schools to re-engage, right? They're seeing the same things um, that Shipper was talking about in terms of, you know, there was a big the pandemic was a big deal and, and we're just peeling away some of the layers now and just starting to understand really what that impact was and continues to be both for young people and for those supporters that are here to do that, to be there for the young folks. And and Shifra, uh, this, this big deal, you know, what are we seeing as we see the results of this? I mean, are we able to tell uh, what, first off, what the biggest challenge is of keeping the students on track uh, were and whether it worked. I think what we're seeing as some of the biggest challenges in keeping students on track really relates to student and like Robin is talking about caregiver and supporters overall mental health and wellness. So again, kind of making this shift from really being isolated uh, for a year and a half to now going back to engaging with others. How are we supporting our students' mental health, their mental wellness, and our teachers' mental health and mental wellness as well? So again, I would say that overall mental health, and what I mean by that are, you know, making sure that our students are not experiencing or going too far down the path of symptoms of depression or anxiety, um, going back to making sure that our students have strong relationships um, and are able to function with those social interactions as well. Um, all of that, I think, contributes to keeping them on track long term. And yeah, if you... I could just jump in. Oh, no. oh, sorry, Craig. Go no, no, on. no, um, no you know, absolutely. Craig, you, I don't, you... you know, listen, I'm doing my best here, but I'm an interrupter. No, that, and, and <laughs> please be that uh, today. All right. Uh, you hit on some things that made me realize that I think what what, what we're sort of talking about here is what happened before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and after the pandemic? And what does that look like with young people and their mental health? And I think one thing that's important to point out is that, unfortunately, some of this is not new, right? There have been conflicts in schools since schools were a thing, right? Young people not getting along is unfortunately not something new. I, I know this anecdotally, but I also know this 
from information through CIS of Chicago, through our work with our schools, we work with our schools to help understand what their, their needs are, their top priorities in terms of bringing in that program support. And year over year, prior, prior to the pandemic and during and after, the number one requested service type continues to be something, a long, a long sentence here, but it's anti-bullying and cultural responsiveness education. And I think this really gets to what we're talking about here. Why are schools saying this year over year? What is the thing that is happening, right? And there's this difference between bullying and conflict. And, and I view the work on, on the partnership program uh, specifically, and certainly with our intensive schools as well, as preventative to allowing things to get to those points that Shipper started talking about in terms of these crisis levels of depression and anxiety and how that manifests in our, in our students and what that looks like. So part of the solution to all of this and what we're seeing as a positive is that the pandemic has forced us to remove some of the stigma in talking about mental health largely because students are not the only ones impacted by this, right? What's different now is the threshold. Young people maybe had had a had a had a had a had a rope however long and managing the everyday things like a student bumping into them or a bad grade on a test or a bad morning. And now that threshold is way lower. And it's not just for the students. We are seeing it in our adults. We are seeing it in ourselves, if we're all being honest, right? And so climbing out of that is where we're at right now. But I think some of those positives are those realizations, are our ability to talk about this more openly, and thereby people are more receptive to hearing about ways that they can be part of the solution. And, and Shipper, I want to hear your thoughts on this too, because I will admit, and I, and you know, when I first heard that bullying was the most frequent frequently requested thing after the pandemic i was surprised because it's not that i don't believe it it's that i wouldn't have expected that to be the top thing i'm not sure what i would have expected but where does that come from i mean what what is happening in students heads that that all of a sudden some want to push each other they want to push each other around Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't know that I can give you a better answer than what Robin just shared. And this is why I'm so thankful to be on this program with her. (laughs) (laughs) But everything that Robin was saying, you know, these positives are really why initially I answered yes to the question of, will our students be okay? The long-term answer is yes. And in the short term, it's about how are we supporting our schools and our students in getting to that ultimate yes. So going back to what Robin was saying, our thresholds, all of our thresholds are just lower. Our tolerance, you know, we may snap more quickly because again, we have not had to have face-to-face interactions with others for so long. And honestly, especially in our younger and more formative years, going to school and practicing those social interactions with other people, that is a huge component of learning. Learning how to read and write, that's all great, but learning how to exist in this world with other people is a huge part of school. So again, I'm just going to echo, and I feel like if I keep talking, I'm just going to repeat exactly what Robin was saying. (laughs) That's that's okay, although am I thinking of bullying in the wrong way? Because, you know, wanting people to leave me alone and shoving them away is one Mm -hmm. thing. I think of bullying as kids aggressively going after each other mm-hmm. of, of, of invading their space. Mm-hmm. And is that a different thing or is it, is it part of the same thing? 
Yeah, I think I'm, I have an answer in the Robin. I know you have a, an excellent answer to this one. Um, uh, so <laughs> yes, you're absolutely thinking about it correctly. But I think when we are seeing schools request this as the top service type, what they are also asking for is more along the lines of like conflict resolution and healthy relationships between peers. And I know Robin has an excellent definition of what bullying actually is that we often share with our schools and our partners, our parents, our students, so that we can make that distinction between what is conflict resolution and what is really rising to the level of bullying. Mm. Robin. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not just students not getting along. And, and when I talk to schools that are prioritizing this, my team and I are asking deeper questions. Right? Why are you saying this? And more often than not, the responses are around, um, you know, needing what Chipper was talking about. We want help. We want to help students make sure they get along. Sometimes it's really about being preventative, which is where CIS of Chicago can be very impactful. Right? In preventing those things from rising to the top. But bullying in and of itself. Is is a is to your point, Craig? Yes, it is aggression, right? It's also an imbalance of power, whether that's perceived or real. That is a part of what makes bullying different from maybe a conflict between two students or two people in general. Um, and and the the idea that it has to be either has the potential to be or is actually being repeated, right? I was at a self care workshop we hosted earlier this week, last week, it doesn't matter what day it was, it was fantastic. <laughs> and this is where we provide opportunities for our school partners to gather and not just learn about like what is self-care, but we force these people to take self-care and we we give them opportunities to breathe and meditate and consider what, what amazing individuals they are and what they're bringing to young people. And during that session, I was talking to uh, to an English teacher at one of our Southside elementary schools. And wouldn't you know it, bullying came up, conflict resolution. And she outlined that she's been working with two young boys. They're now in seventh grade since they were in first grade. And they have been going at each other back and forth over the years for however long, right? Mm -hmm. And she, when I asked her, I said, is this bullying? She stopped and said, I'm not sure because of that imbalance of power, right? It is persistent. Maybe sometimes it's aggressive, but she sees these two as just not being able to get along, right? And so I think that that is an example of how we, as individuals, is how we communicate. If I said right now, Craig, I'm being bullied, you would have something in your head as to what that is. And that's very likely true that that is indeed bullying. But I think my larger point here is that, you know, there there is there is a way to think about it that makes it easy to understand. Uh, and, and therefore we want to then say, okay, so now I know what it is, how do I fix it? How do I avoid it? And how do I, how do I make it stop, right? And, and unfortunately the answer is just not that simple. I, you know, I'm a parent, I have two young kids. I would very much love a top 10 list of things that I should or should not be doing to ensure that my children don't become the perpetrators or victims of bullying, right? And we do need to think about all sides of that PS. But it's just, it's not that, right? It is about, it is about all of us understanding what it means to react in those moments. What are we going to do? How do we create safe environments for young people in all the places that they are? And I mean that from the bus to the school to the home, right? And so that's really where we see the most positive um, gains in, in preventing bullying and intervening when necessary is when we are all on the same page of those safe environments. Mm -hmm. 
You're listening to News Radio 780's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. We're talking about mental health challenges in the public schools post-COVID. My guests are Shipper Panniker, Director of Intensive Student Supports for Communities and Schools, and Robin Kelsch, CIS's Senior Director of Partnerships. Um, let me ask the naive question. Uh, the kids have been back for a while now. Uh, some of them are about to graduate are you seeing these problems subside or are they staying at about the same level or, you know, heaven forbid, getting worse? Hmm. Shipra? Hmm. That is an excellent question. We are seeing that students are able to self-regulate and de-escalate so that prevention kind of piece before it gets to the point of kind of lashing out or having any other serious issue, we're seeing those coping mechanisms be stronger. So overall, yes, we are seeing positive shifts and changes, especially with our case managed students at our intensive program sites. Um, we're working really diligently individually or in small groups or a combination of both to set our students up for success. And we are seeing the impacts of that positive impacts. I think going back to something that Robin said earlier, uh, we don't have kind of a one size fits all or a top 10 list of things that we've done or fixed or magically kind of solved, but we're seeing that incremental shift so that ultimately our students are just they're better served as individuals, and we feel more confident that they're ready to go out into the world. Well, now, if uh, if you don't have a magic wand that uh, you can wave and make the problem <laughs> go away, let me ask if there is a, a crystal ball of sorts uh, for parents who are worried about this kind of thing. As you said, Robin, you want you want your children. Are there things that parents? should be looking for or families i should say not just parents but mm -hmm. families mm -hmm. should be looking for or be concerned about that would allow them to make sure that their children get the mm -hmm. kind of help that they need i i think there's a few things i'm curious where your mind went shipra but i i started to think about um you know this idea of part part of the way we create safe environments is by asking questions and and part of what families and caregivers can do is ask those questions of their school environment, right? What does happen when X, Y, and Z goes on? Or have you been seeing this? I've been noticing this, right? I think, you know, both my lens as, as, a, as a parent and through my professional work here, I think those are really important ways to help make sure that we are all on the same page and that nothing all of a sudden comes out as a surprise to anyone, right? I think the last thing we would want is for a school to have a conversation with a parent about a behavior that they're seeing that's disturbing and for the parent to say, I have never talked to anybody here about any of this ever before, right? Which gets back to this idea of relationships, which is at the foundation of every single little thing that I'm talking about and everything that I think matters for young people is based on those, those strong relationships. Shipper, I don't want to keep talking because I'm curious what you, what your <laughs> response was. You were shaking your head. And I feel like you've got something really great here. Go. You know, Robin, I think we are just of the same mind because oh, I also hi. was going to say ask questions and something that we encourage our school partners, we encourage parents, we encourage students to do this with one another is to be specific when you are asking questions or identifying a situation. 
feel confident in naming something without any shame or any blame or any judgment, but be confident in noticing something and then asking a question. I noticed that when I did this, you responded like this. How are you feeling? What's going on? Can we talk about this more? So again, feeling feeling confident in that and then approaching a situation without any judgment, without any shaming. These are all ways that we can create that safe environment, whether that's at school, whether that's at home. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm really just piggy, piggybacking off yeah. of everything. Well, I got to say something else now then too, because <laughs> I was thinking about how, how parents, uh, and, and really I'll take it one step further. It's not parents, it's not just caregivers. It's really this idea of any, any adult that has the privilege of interacting with a young person, person, especially on a regular basis, you also have a responsibility. You have to notice when things are changing, right? There's a baseline for all of us. Um, many people that know me know my baseline is pretty much this, right? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty energetic and I'm interrupting people and I have this flow. And so if I were to, to, you know, get invited back on the show, Craig, and I was really quiet <laughs> and I wasn't myself, you would notice that. And, and you might have an opportunity to say, Robin, I noticed that you write, and that might give me an opportunity to say, Craig, thank you for noticing that I've been having a hard time. Sometimes those very simple things that feel very second nature to some of us or, or not, right? Those mm -hmm. can really open the door for us understanding what the young people in our life need. And mm -hmm. you might not be the best person to have that conversation, right? I mean, that's something that for me, I've had to grapple with of like, you don't want to talk to me, really? I mean, <laughs> really? <laughs> but that's true. Not, not everybody's cup of tea, believe it or not. And so you have to recognize also as an adult um, that you, if you are noticing something, you have to say something. Mm -hmm. It might not be to the young person directly. You need to find out. But that's part of our responsibility. And I'll say part of what we really do a great job of at CIS of Chicago is not only providing opportunities for adults to get trained in this kind of thing that I'm talking about, but also making sure that the community partners that we're bringing into our schools are all working on that same foundation of social emotional supports and understanding that a young person, young people are human beings that need all the support too, right? They're not gonna really care about your financial literacy program if they don't care about you at all. So mm -hmm. how do you build those relationships, even in those one-time opportunities, right? And many of these community partners are coming in with specific content to help students get along, to avoid those bullying behaviors to becoming an issue um, that impact the larger student body. So yeah. how do you build the confidence in the students themselves to be able to mm -hmm. answer those questions and to mm -hmm. talk? Because that's hard. I mean, to you know, kids, yes. kids don't always want to talk about it and they sometimes might be ashamed. How do you how are you building that into the students? Because I know that, you know, you're coming into these schools and at first the kids are probably going to be a little standoffish. But mm -hmm. what what gets through? Mm -hmm. um, a couple of things, I think being persistent and consistent and modeling the behavior and the language and what we're hoping to see from our students. So being consistent in following up or bringing something to the attention of students or engaging someone in conversation really regularly, showing up and being present. That's all a part of being consistent. Um, and modeling, really what we're talking about when thinking about modeling is that all of the adults, I think to Robin's point, 
adults in general, if we want to engage students or young people in conversations where they are being vulnerable, to really model that that's okay. There is the potential for an adult to share their own experience as appropriate to the situation. Um, and then again, approaching a situation without any shaming or any judgment, just, I wanna have this conversation with you. I care about you. Reinforcing what Robin was talking about, those relationships and that relationships matter and our young people matter. I'll also say that, you know, as you're talking about that part, Shibra, um, you know, that consistency in the modeling, uh, maybe this is just what I have to work on, but patience. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's about opening the door and just saying, I I'm here if you do want to talk, right? And maybe saying that multiple times. I would much rather have a young person say, oh my God, I know that you're here for me than to not, <laughs> not know for sure, mm -hmm. right? Like, oh my God, I know, right? I ask my kids sometimes, guess what? And they go, oh, what, you love me? And I'm like, all right, well, I'm glad you know that you're loved, right? But I'd rather have the eye roll than have a young person not be sure that I really meant what I said and mm -hmm. I, I am there for them. My door is open. Um, Absolutely. I, yeah, I do want to ask a question that uh, is, is, is sort of a dread question. For those who are graduating this uh, this spring, are they going to face more hurdles at the college or career level, depending upon what uh, what direction they go? than they might otherwise uh, face. Because, you know, at some point that next levelness, you know, peters out and there you are with, you know, doing the job, whether it's school or studying or, or a job that you have to do. I think it would be naive to say that, that, that it, there wouldn't be some impact, right? I mean, all of us are not the same people we were prior to the pandemic um, in many, many different ways. And, and I think that is absolutely true for young people. But as you were asking that question, the, the word that came to my mind was resiliency. Mm -hmm. If these young people have been have been able to navigate through the pandemic and uh, school and all of these sort of concepts that are difficult to understand when you're right in front of them, let alone when you're trying to do that via Zoom and other other um, other tools like that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's 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 definitely that piece of it. I'll also say just in, in our work and with our community partners <clears throat> and some of our strategic partners at large, those colleges are thinking about this too, right? So the idea of the warm handoff is something that I'm really hopeful for that will become way more of a regular um, aspect to the, to, the, to the college life um, of not just saying, okay, well, you made it here, great job. Uh, but saying like, here are the supports, here are multitude of different ways to get that support. Mm -hmm. Uh, let me, uh, for the only couple minutes that we have left, uh, I'm going to give you the magic wand this time because not that we ever want to go through this again, but what lessons would you want to teach the future about what we've gone through, uh, so that we don't make any of the mistakes we made the first time out? And let me throw it first to, at, at you, Shipra. Hmm. What would I want to do over? That is a fantastic question. I think if I could really summarize that into one point, it would be the idea that this work is going to be long-term and it is okay to not have an immediate short-term solution to dealing with a global pandemic. It is okay for us to not be okay in the immediate and that we will eventually, because again, bringing it back to resiliency, 
we will eventually adapt to a situation. I think we all learned that we can adapt. I mean, I had never used Zoom before the pandemic and here I am, a Zoom pro. Um, So I think just that kind of statement of it's okay to not be okay and we will move through this and adapt to the situation. We are capable of doing that. Just reminding pre-pandemic me of all of those mm-hmm. things. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Robin Kelch, uh, you, your, your magic wand. What, what... Yeah, you should let me go first because Shukra stole some of my ideas. But um... <laughs> <Or one night>. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think this idea of uh, what I was thinking of is broadly, right? Like, where did we see things that really felt like, gosh, we should have had a handle on this before this happened? And what came to mind right away was the the, the very clear inequities um, regarding access mm-hmm. to simple things that we have benefited from, like Zoom and the Internet. Right. Mm-hmm. That became such a stark reminder of our need to do a lot of work towards equitable access and also was a place where I felt like CIS of Chicago is as on that pathway. Right. So mm-hmm. so it is to me also like thinking from the workforce standpoint of of giving that permission and it's OK to not be OK to to have companies and organizations that had systems in place that allowed for time off for people to take paid time off um, and for those inequities to not have existed so that young people weren't struggling with all of the things that we know they were plus having to figure out how to get the internet to go to school right that seemed like um seemed like something i wish that we if my magic wand i that would be it yes uh i would like to thank robin kelsch the uh uh, Communities and Schools Senior Director of Partnerships uh, and Shipra Paniker, Director of Intensive Student Supports for CIS, for spending this half hour with me. Uh, to our listeners, if you want a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, 1059 WBBM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 